0: Do you hate your job? Of course you do! So do Liz and Noah. Now it's time to join their conversation so you can figure out how to quit your soul-crushing job. Welcome to a very special episode of When Can I Quit My Job? Today I'm going to be joined by Chris Harris, who's got his own podcast. It's a fantasy football podcast. And we're going to talk about his transition from having a day job to working for himself. And he's got a lot of other fun side ventures and things like that he does that I'm really excited to talk to him about. And I think he gives a lot of awesome tips it's a great interview. You're going to enjoy it. So stick around. I know that you, uh, you worked for ESPN for quite a while, Well, I I looked it up on your website to make sure I knew. So for eight years, is that right? Eight years, eight years at ESPN. And so what was, what was your job there primarily?
1: Uh, the, the, you know, the same thing I, I wrote about and, talked on tv and talked on a podcast about the stupid stupid game of fantasy football
0: yep (laughs) enjoyable but stupid i I get you no um (laughs) did so did you also did you ever collab with yahoo or how did you get i mean i know you know like brad evans and um brandon funston and stuff like that were they working with espn or did you work with yahoo or how did you meet those guys
1: I worked with Yahoo very briefly before ESPN. So the first first okay. paying job that I had coming out of, uh, you know, just doing this, actually coming out of grad school, uh, was with Yahoo. And then ESPN approached about six months into that and said, "Hey, you know the thing that you're doing for them for that amount of money, we'll pay you more money. And we'll put you on TV." And I was like, <laughs> "Whoa, okay." And uh, Brandon Funston ran Yahoo Fantasy at the time, and I had a contract and he was like, yeah, it's too good of an opportunity. I'm not going to hold you to that contract. You go ahead. So
0: yeah, that's wow. nice guy. Yeah. So what, where did you go? If you don't mind where you went to grad school, what did you, what was sure. your major and stuff like that?
1: So undergrad, I went to Cornell, um, okay. and then there was a 10 year gap and then I went to university of Massachusetts for, uh, creative writing for fiction writing actually in between I went to the University of Texas for an MBA okay uh, that was only one year out of school and then s- some time later uh, you know s- six or seven years I went back to school to be a fiction writer to go back to you know get an MFA in creative writing
0: yeah so what spurred you it sounds like uh, did you go to the working world between then like what, what yes. kind of spurred you to go back to school
1: Oh, yeah. I'm great for this podcast. I've quit many times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I was, I had MBA type jobs. I was a, I was like a, I actually started my own company with a friend of mine that uh, did fine. We did s- some graphic design and some business planning for people in Austin, Texas. And then okay. we got out of that business and I was a creative director for a small ad agency and. Uh, then i was i worked for a couple of like dot com startups and then i had had enough
0: and yeah. then i went back to school what time so if when you were working with dot com startups was that during the boom
1: it was boom adjacent i would say yeah okay. yeah it was it, you know there were still uh, there always have been dot coms getting funded right and yeah the one that the last one that i was with actually should have been Shazam should have been a huge giant wow. mess it should have it was music and social and I still feel like it's never really been done It wasn't my idea. I was hired to like be the number three at that company and they had venture money and it was in Boston and um, it was it should have been really good and they hired the wrong CEO and and just oh. yeah it didn't work
0: Wow so you were doing all that kind of like entrepreneurial leaning stuff but also like sounds like it was heavily based in what your degrees were in and stuff like that so what kind of made you change your mind and go back was it like just a a passion kind of thing or like what made you go back to school for fiction writing
1: yeah I would always written uh, fiction oh like I probably should have been an English major I probably should have done something a totally different course I there was something in me from a young age that didn't think it was practical. I mean, I was writing Mm -hmm. stories when I was, I mean, 11, 12 years old, I was writing stories and have been ever since. And I was, when I had all these real jobs, I would wake up at 5.30 every single morning, I'd walk my dogs, I'd come back 7 a.m. I'd start writing, write for like an hour and a half and then go to work for years and years and years. And, uh, I, you know, it was certainly what I valued most. Okay. And I felt like, okay, my 20s are going to be for making some money and being able to do that. You know, where, whereas most people would say, my 20s are for expressing my art artistic self. And there'll be always time to make money. And I was like, almost right. exactly the opposite. Huh? And uh, finally, eventually, I was like, I need to just write. I mean, life is too short. I thought I was great at it, which... I very much wasn't at the time. I mean, God, I wrote <laughs> hundreds if not thousands of pages wow. uh, in my 20s that are totally useless and garbage and I would never look at, let alone anybody, let anybody else look at. Uh, but you have to put pages on your odometer before you figure it out. Um, yeah. So honestly, I really probably would have uh, – Continued to not be a very good writer and not be the most happy person ever. And uh, I think I decided that life was too short and wow. quit and went... Actually, there was, an, there was a year between when I quit and when I went back to school where I just wrote. I okay. bought a place out in Amherst, Mass. And I had two dogs and it was me. And I walked around the woods and I read a ton of books and I wrote. And that's really when I started to get better, I think. And that was the stuff that, that I... I produced to submit because getting into MFA programs like UMass's MFA program is pretty good, pretty yeah. small, and uh, you know, fortunately, I did that because I think that was why I was able to produce work good enough to get into that program. And then, you know, once you're focused on it, the work gets better.
0: Wow! And so, what is how does that timeline fit with um, what we can? You give the specifics later, or maybe I already gave them before the show. I don't know yet. But uh, with, with the books you've you've actually published, did those all come after you graduated? Then, uh, with your... oh yeah, okay, yeah, okay.
1: the first stuff that I ever published, first fiction I ever published, were short stories that I wrote while I was in MFA school. Okay, uh, like the pr- premise of most MFA programs for fiction is geared around workshops. So you're constantly every semester you're in a workshop. And you're responsible for bringing in a story or a part of something or whatever, and then you bring a copy for everybody, and everybody goes home and reads it and marks it up, and then when it's your turn to be the sacrificial lamb, uh, they give you the, you know, you're they give you all the copies back and they're all written on, and you cry, and then you look <laughs> at them, and you try to make them better, and um, yeah. honestly, I I'm not even sure how, I don't know, I don't want to be ungenerous, I'm not even sure how much I learned from the process I think honestly it was t- it was years to write it was years to just focus on being a writer that I'd never given myself in the past I'd always said well I do that on my side and maybe someday and blah 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 and I I'm sure I'm great but you know I haven't totally given myself over to it it was you know sort of cowardly way to be a writer in some ways yeah, and finally yeah. finally I was really um you know doing it and I got better and then so the you know there's some literary journals I eh, maybe so my my thesis project for MFA was a novel, but it was a it was a series of short stories about the same guy, and okay. he wasn't he wasn't me, exactly, but mm-hmm. uh, he was I don't know I I don't, I don't even remember those stories, but I I wound up it's funny my committee okay the defense committee like said, good job. And I was like, cool, let us leave the room. You know, or why don't you leave the room and we'll we'll talk about it and we'll sign it off and you'll be done, you'll finish. And I'm like, great. So I'm standing out in the hallway mm-hmm. thinking I'm the best. And I walk back in and the people on the committee said, uh, we didn't feel like we'd be doing you a service unless we told you the truth, which is this manuscript, this collection of interrelated short stories, They are good enough to pass, but they're not publication quality. And we didn't think we would be doing you a service unless we told you that, which is crushing to hear.
0: Wow. Sure. And I
1: really, there are three women and I really liked those three women and I respected their opinion and it was really hard to hear. And then I got my back up and I was like, you know, I didn't, not to them, but to to myself, to my girlfriend, I was like, who the hell are you? You know? And so I started sending those stories around and I think, Five or six of them got published by little literary journals.
0: Wow! And,
1: and I was like, you know, screw you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it gave me some confidence. And yeah, uh, so none of the novels—I have four novels that are published now, but none, none came until after I was done with school.
0: Okay, okay, yeah. So I can I can commiserate with you a little bit. I, I my wife and I both went to school for fine arts, so I'm sure there's kind of an overlap there. We we didn't uh, go deep into. It graduate school or anything like that, just our bachelor's degrees. But uh, I understand how the subjective nature of that can um, not be kind.
1: <laughs> it's t- It's just t- like sometimes they're right. And then what does right even mean? You know there are there are all sorts of stories of you know Moby Dick being considered a hunk of trash for a hundred years, you know before someone <laughs> finds it. And Like right. you know there's that, but then there's then there's legitimately lots and lots of people who want to be writers who aren't good enough to be writers, and it's really tough to know which category you fall into until you just keep doing it. Which, you know, it's it what it is is you got to make sure that you're doing it because you can't not do it. That's essentially how I've approached it the last whatever since I've been out, you know, like to 12, 13 years is mm-hmm. I've been writing fiction all this time and, and – if I could not do it, I probably, w- it's not, it's sort of a lonely life. It's not, it's kind of miserable. Like I, it would be great if I could just kind of process the world by living in it and going and doing stuff. That'd be awesome. Uh, instead, you know, I'm the one who <laughs> is constantly like, yeah, I was alone for 12 hours today. I was writing a book. It was,
0: <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: but you know, you got to be able to not, I think that you have, you know. I'm sure James Patterson and his team of writers, I say derisively because I'm jealous, uh, <laughs> are, able, are able to have a healthy balance in their lives and not deep, scoop that deeply into their souls and feel like they're accepted by the marketplace. But I think most of the rest of sure. us are doing it for, for non-financial reasons.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, so, well, I guess talk me into how that, um, coming from school uh, for fiction writing, led you into the sports world and what that looked like
1: so it was not part of a plan <laughs> that's for sure yeah <laughs> i was living in the woods still in amherst and i was um like all i really knew i mean i think this is the again if if i was going to go back to the way things had been go get like an mba type job mm mm-hmm. mhm I mean they they call an MFA in fiction writing a terminal degree for a reason. I mean there's there's <laughs> nothing you can do with it, right? It's it's not doesn't lead to job.
0: <laughs> right, it's right.
1: Not something you're not gonna then suddenly have a good paying job because thank goodness you have that degree. Like that's not the way it works.
0: <laughs> right. So
1: the having sort of quit my day job once, I just knew that I didn't want another day job like that again. That I was I'm I'm pretty good at those kinds of jobs. I'm pretty good with people. I'm I'm very organized. I can do lots of different jobs, but because you can do them doesn't mean you should. And so sure. my mentality coming out of school was I'm just you know, it's almost like a weakness to be able to go just take a job to take it to feel security. I don't think it's a weakness for everybody, but I didn't have sure. kids, I didn't have a partner. I for me it was going to be a diversion away from the thing that I really wanted to do with my life. And so I thought to myself, what can I do on a freelance basis or on a part-time basis or like how can I not go back to the same life that I left to go to school? And one thought was like I've been a sports maniac my whole life. Okay. I'd never really written that much about sports, a little bit. I'd done a little freelance work here and there, but not never been really paid for it well. Okay. And I played fa- fantasy. I've been in a, the same fantasy league that you hear me talking about on the podcast <laughs> forever uh-huh. for since the 90s. Okay. And uh, like I just thought, okay, that's interesting. What am I, you know, what am I reading online about fantasy? Now, this is all kind of happening oh, 07, oh, 08, oh, 09. I can't remember. But like right before yeah. fantasy blows up, right? So it's really good timing. Right. This is this is not entirely the result of me being the kind of undeniable genius of the world who just needs, you know, like, was <laughs> always going to be heard. Like, it just was <laughs> awesome timing that this was right at the moment when fantasy sports is going to go crazy.
0: Yeah.
1: And so, the, yeah, I just, I found a website that had a contest, and I won the contest to be a writer on their website for no money, and it kind of, like, went from there.
0: Wow. So... This is a quick side note. Do you have any insight uh, into why fantasy blew up when it did? Is it just a conglomeration of more people being online? And um, do you have any do you have any thoughts on that? Just, I mean, I you might not know definitively I don't or anything really. like that, but
1: no, I I I I don't. I don't. I think I'm very insulated from it. You know, I, all I know is all of a sudden. I mean, I think to some degree, so so Matthew, Barry, and myself, and mm-hmm. um, Nate Ravitz, and Tristan Cockroft, and Eric Carabell, uh, all descended on ESPN, kind of, all, and and Matthew is the one who kind of convinced ESPN, hey, you know what, if this was a, if you put some resources behind this, we think we could really make it a big thing. Now, at that point, ESPN certainly had their own game online and right. and Matthew, and Eric had already worked there and like there had been a fantasy writing department but the fact was that ESPN hadn't ever really put a lot of resources behind it okay and to some to some degree that is kind of the visionary moment it's almost like the market you know like it told the market hey wake up you're going to really like this and started putting in, us on TV and started uh, yeah. a, you know sort of elevating our uh our writing higher on espn.com and just kind of making a bigger deal out of it it was a constant strain to kind of get people to take it seriously at espn yeah and it's just the just the experience of what it was like at the beginning of my time at espn to the end is, is so hilarious and instructive because at the beginning we were off in some other building way away from the main campus and I w- I never lived in Bristol Connecticut. I always lived in Amherst, but I would drive down whenever I did do television. So that was mm-hmm. during the football season really and at the beginning even during the baseball season or the NASCAR season. Like that was once a week at least. Yeah. And our desks were all somewhere unglorious and unglamorous and nobody knew us and nobody knew where we were and you know we weren't really given anything. Yeah. And very much were left to ourselves. We were almost like pirates at that place. <laughs> and then by the end we every for, for especially for fantasy football every spring you've heard me on the show talk about it many times the, they have a ranking summit mm-hmm, and yeah. the ranking summit where we would all come up with what espn's default ranks would be which the ranking summit was you know 15 of us sitting in a room arguing about the order of the quarterbacks and arguing about the quarter, order of the running backs <laughs> Uh silliest fun really fun super 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 fun yeah and some of my best friends at espn would be in that room and we had a blast and and it was you know we were just there on a saturday like totally alone and it was it felt like some some level of purity of the best argument would win and it was really kind of nice and by the end that ranking summit there were cameras there was a row of chairs the people who, were giving, people who I didn't know were giving, like, keynote speeches. They weren't in our department. <laughs> there were, like, marketing executives who would happen by. It was, like, a public event mm. on the ESPN campus. Wow. And no judgment. It just is not my kind of scene. It's sure. just not me, which isn't, doesn't mean it's bad. And to some degree, sure. I understand why they do it, because it keeps increasing the per- the visibility of fantasy at ESPN. And God knows last f- five years, I have no idea because I haven't been there. Yeah. But it just was all going in a direction that felt like it wasn't for me anymore.
0: Wow. Well, I might hear a slight bit of judgment in there, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> <So> <laughs> a judgment I it, might it, agree it, with.
1: It isn't really judgment. It's much more judgment about what's right for me. I think to some degree. That's fair. This, That's you, know, fair. you know, this... I would never say that the people at my last real job, which is ESPN, were dumb. Like, I'm sure Sure. the people who listen to this podcast wanting to quit their day job, some of them just have idiots for bosses and they need to get out because they're literally just working for stupid people. And that (laughs) sucks. I've worked for stupid people. Yeah. That sucks. But that's certainly not the case at ESPN. Everybody there is talented. Everybody there is really smart. And sure. to some degree, the problem with a big media organization, and I've, like, interviewed other others and, and worked briefly at Yahoo, is that you have almost too many smart people and almost too many people who have different ideas and different directions, and you can get pulled in a lot of different funky mm. shapes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the more political it gets, it just, at, at, some, you know, at some point, I don't know, do you want to talk about why I left? Because that's kind of what this podcast yeah.
0: is. Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay.
1: I mean, it... You know, to some, it really isn't meant to have judgment, and it's definitely not personal with any individual person at ESPN. For me, it absolutely was not. It was much more. You know, at some point, your employer either expresses that you have room to grow, Mm -hmm. or they express that you kind of are going to be doing what you're doing. And for the last few years at ESPN i would go to my bosses and i would say hey i'm feeling a little stuck i'm feeling a little stagnant and my direct bosses extremely cool mm-hmm. totally heard me totally understood were to some degree hamstrung by what they were allowed to do and what there were technical allotments and stuff and i wanted to do more video and they just didn't have the capacity to do more video on com and so that was a little bit of a frustration and they and then we would go to kind of one level up that boss, and he would pay a lot of lip service to me changing my development. But in the end, it wound up kind of being the same articles and the same TV appearances and the same – it was just kind of always going to be the same.
0: Okay, okay.
1: And and honestly, like, it just – it really isn't – for me, it, it, as, I guess you can be the judge, honestly, about how much judgment there is in my voice because I'm not hearing it. But I don't judge – I really don't. I, I felt like – sure. The last year I was there, I really wasn't all that happy. I felt like I, I shouldn't have stayed that last year. But I did because who quits that job, right? I was like, I had shame around the possibility of quitting that job. And then sure. uh, then finally I was like, what are you ashamed of? And um, there was some back and forth about whether they were going to have me back. And in the end, they offered for me to come back. And I just looked myself in the mirror and I said, I, I'm not happy. And I just said, uh, it's the stupidest thing in the world to quit this stupid job that is really fun and really like, you know, there's 10 million people in the country who would kill to have it. And I just don't want to renew. And uh, so I didn't renew.
0: So do you think that had the opportunity for you continued to grow and change with your needs, you could still be there?
1: Oh, hundred percent! I had no need to go do my own thing and not not only that, but like the the day I decided not to take the offer uh-huh. was the like I had absolutely no conception of what I would do. It wasn't like I was secretly plotting <laughs> right to, to do a podcast to do anything I had no idea I figured so the timing of it was fortunate my contract w- was up at the very end of July of twenty fifteen and so I had spent the whole spring and summer creating content around the 2015 season. So I had the whole, like, uh, 2015 season in my head, right? It was all, it was all in my head. Sure. So if 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 all of that had happened in February and it hadn't have been in my head, who knows? I don't know what I would have done. But yeah. at that August first of 2015, I did not have in my head, I'm I'm going to start a podcast. I, all I had in my head was I'm going to do something different. I'm I'm not going to do something that isn't making me happy yeah. as much as people feel like I'm being stupid. <laughs> and yeah. my family was like, my family was really supportive, but my, I think probably, I mean, if I was your son, you'd probably have said the same thing. You'd have been like, are you <laughs> sure? You're really probably not going to find a job as fun as that one, dude. You know what, you've had real jobs, you know what they're like. Yeah. Uh, and so I, with, with no, anger in my heart. I really don't think I did. I don't think I was pissed off. I think it was literally just a a like a diversion of of interests or whatever. And mm-hmm. so 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 the answer to your question, which is a really good question, is I don't think it would have occurred to me to do something else if I had been satisfied.
0: Okay. Okay. Um yeah, I think I think um, either, yeah, discomfort or, you know, lack of growth, like, maybe those are the things that start to put little red flags up in your mind to, to think outside the box. And I'm not saying that, like you said, you weren't, like, plotting some grand scheme or something like that, but I guess – so, would, when you originally – like decided to start a podcast was was it like a stopgap for you until you could find something better or see how it works or what was your plan moving into that
1: so I think I've told this story on my show a few times I'm glad to tell it again some of that other stuff I don't think I've said on a podcast before but um, so I had I had so people knew me from ESPN like I had a pretty big Twitter following and I had one of the things that I had um, asked for, and and then again, my bosses had had fought for me uh, to give me a pod. There already was a podcast, Matthews podcast, at ESPN, and I was a guest on it a fair amount of the time, and um, that was fine. But it wasn't really my style. It's, it's conflicting kind of ways of looking at uh, football, mm-hmm. and so I said to them, "Hey, give me a podcast." And at first, they gave they gave me one a week, and then I. I they wouldn't tell us the numbers ever, but I guess it got popular because then they gave us two shows a week. It still didn't feel like really enough. And I kind of always wished that there was another, you know, just like I, you could talk as long as, long as you needed to talk and you didn't, mm-hmm. we, we were, we were always told like Josh was the producer, uh, Josh Macri, really great guy. And we were just always told that there weren't resources to make a podcast the way that I really wanted to make it, which was. Talk about it every day during the football season. Yeah. And to think about that now, that that, that Josh was being told that there aren't resources for that, it is just (laughs) so funny. Yeah. Because honestly, all they would have had to do was say, sure, do a podcast five days a week. I'd probably still
0: be there. Yeah.
1: Like, I mean, (laughs) why wouldn't I? It would have been fun. I'd be doing what I'm doing now. I wouldn't have known any better. I would have not been making my own money. It would have just been for salary, right? It would have been just normal. Well, like, um, yeah, so, I, like, oh, wow. I guess, I guess they, you know, to, and, and when I say they, I'm definitely not talking about, like, the people who I work directly for in the fantasy group. Not at all. They sure. thought it was great. They were psyched. They were super supportive. It was kind of other mysterious forces that I did not understand. Sanity that Bears. I have guessed. I have guesses is about, but I'm really not here to air laundry. I'm here to talk about, sure, you know. To, sure, sure. Changing, changing occupations so anyway i had done a podcast right and it, and i had had the sense from social media that it had done that it had been pretty popular that people liked it it was called fantasy underground and uh um, do you still
0: find the archives of that do you know
1: i have no no idea interesting no, sorry sorry no to interrupt idea. no no problem So, I certainly didn't start up. I didn't know how to make a podcast, let alone think that. Again, this was good timing because podcasts weren't quite yet really a thing. Mm -hmm. 2015, they were a thing because I had been doing one for three years. Like they were a thing, but they hadn't really gone crazy in the way that fantasy sports hadn't really gone crazy, even though it had its devotees, right? Right. But uh, you know, podcasts had. You know, my mom wasn't listening to podcasts at that point, right? Whereas now she is. Right. So I didn't really think of it. You know, it wasn't like everybody had a podcast. You didn't have this podcast. Like it wasn't (laughs) the tools. The tools didn't feel quite uh, as as at hand. Sure. So I didn't know how you made one. I didn't know how you hosted one. I didn't know what software to use to record it. I didn't know anything. So I didn't think of it as, yes, this is my, I I have been, you know, a butterfly in, 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 in. (laughs) cocoon ready to burst out and this is going to be my thing mostly i thought yeah. well i have the 2015 season in my head i've always kind of wanted to have a, a five day a week podcast what the hell what's the harm i'll figure it all out i'll do it and then and then we'll just see
0: okay so you thought you thought like going into it that this might be my income like from no no you did not
1: i went into it thinking I have some money saved. What's the harm? I have the whole season in my head. Sure. What the heck? I'll just try it. I don't know anything. I don't know how to get ads. I know nothing about this. There's no way I could have thought in my head. Oh, I'm definitely going to support myself. Yeah. <laughs> All I thought was, why not? What's the harm? I'm not going to be doing anything else anyway. I've got this season in my head. Why don't I just try this? Okay. And the honestly, the what what I assumed would happen,
0: mm-hmm. the
1: de- the negative in my like there wasn't really any major negative to doing it. But what I thought in my head was – what I thought in my head. That is very profound. You can tell he's a writer, folks. Sure. <laughs> uh, what I thought was uh, I'll do it every day. I'll get to, like, November 12th, and 743 people will li- be listening every day, so I will know that it will, ha- it will have been a failure, that it won't have worked. And, okay, I, I can live with that. The bummer was – like realizing mid season that was a failure, but having promised that I'd get it through all the way through the season. So kind of having to like batan death March my way through the last six weeks or whatever, where <laughs> um. knowing that it was, knowing that it was dead, knowing that it wasn't going to work. And then I would, and, and then phew, I would finally be finished with it. I could stop it. And then I would go get a real job in January that this was my,
0: okay. you know, this was, and my, it, I figured. Is yeah, that, yeah. is that when you coined the term, the little podcast that could,
1: God knows how that came out of my mouth. I think it must have been the first or second episode. I just said it. You you listen to the show, so you know that the, yeah. off the top, I, ju- I don't have a plan of what I'm going to say. I, I say, mm-hmm. everybody welcome. I yell, everybody welcome. Yes. And I don't know where that came from either. And then I just say, like, this is a thing I make with my mouth. or Yeah. <laughs> some words. Or, and one of the first things I ever said was, welcome to a little podcast that could. And no idea. I mean, obviously, it's based on... The little engine that could. It's not like a sure. big giant size, but who knew, man? Like a literary masterpiece
0: in its own right. right.
1: The first T-shirt that someone ever sent me about the new show was uh, an like a train engine that said, "The little podcast that could."
0: Nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have. um, so full disclosure, I have I have channeled you at least a couple of times because when we started this podcast, I was doing the introduction a different way every time. And so a few times I <laughs> stole your intro and <laughs> I, I may have dropped a little podcast that could in at one point or another, but uh, <laughs> so, so hopefully-
1: No trademark. I have no okay. trademark on that. What a, what a blunder on my- I could have been collecting royalties from, <laughs> from everybody who ever used that phrase. What a blunder.
0: I, yeah, you really- You really messed up big this time, (laughs) 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 but (laughs) so we talk a lot on this podcast. There's, there's a book named after this and there's a kind of a train of thought called ready, fire, aim. You may or may not have heard of it, but the idea is to avoid, I can't think of it right now, but it's basically, so ready, fire, aim is basically when, when you have a plan of action. Instead of, um, ins- instead of like over planning, you just kind of d- do it and then you-, mm-hmm. you can make the plan better as you go instead of making it perfect mm-hmm. before you start. Um, so I wonder what you think about that. If like that kind of mentality was at play a little bit for you,
1: well, it is the high stakes world of podcasting, so I really had to have it perfect <laughs> before I started. Um, no, of course, there are so yeah, I mean. Paralysis by analysis, that's it. you know, that's, like, yep. yeah, analysis. Yeah. Par- that's
0: what I was looking for. That's the exact first. Yeah. Thank
1: you. So, so there, in my case, in this particular case, no question I did not suffer from that because from the time I decided to do it to the time that I was doing, it, it was like two weeks, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. But this by the time I, did, I quit ESPN and kind of came to real what have I done and like talked to my mom, <laughs> you know, and like, and then thought to myself, "Well, why? Maybe I should try to do my own podcast. People seem to like that other one." Mm-hmm. Um, it it just was a million tasks that I practically did not know how to do. So. Yeah. You talk, about, you talk about ready, fire, aim. I mean, that's the definition of what I did because I made the decision to do something that I had absolutely no technical knowledge how to do. Absolutely none. I didn't know, like, you know, I didn't know how... I, all I knew was how the microphone plugged into the computer. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know anything else. I didn't know what software to use. I didn't know how to host it. I didn't know what I would say on it. I didn't know what the content would be other than it would be fantasy football. I I didn't know how to get ads. I didn't know how to promote it. I didn't know how yeah. to get guests. I knew nothing. So the, one of the very first conversations I had, uh, a dear friend of mine, Bill Childs, uh, had a connection with somebody at Minnesota Public Radio. Okay. And he, And so i was like whinging to all my friends like what have i done what am i gonna do am i really <laughs> gonna make a show and bill is amazing and knows a lot of people and just just this ultra positive supportive guy who i love and he uh put me in touch with this guy from minnesota public radio who's was really kind to take time out of his day and we talked on the phone and he said well okay t- that sounds interesting but i mean i don't know anything about the topic but tell me what the show would be like and i said well I mean, it would be me talking. <laughs> and he was like, that sounds awful. And he didn't say that, but he was like, you know, uh-huh. I remember so clearly, this is a conversation from about five years ago, but so clearly he said, it's a rare person who couldn't, he said, it was like, how long would it be? And I said, I mean, it might be an hour. And he said, boy, I don't know, Chris, because it's a rare person. It's, it's a Howard Stern or it's a Rush Limbaugh mm-hmm. who can do an hour by themselves. Otherwise you need help.
0: <laughs> you need someone else on
1: the air with you.
0: Okay. Okay. And I was
1: like, I was like, Oh, really? Jeez. Okay. I mean, I, that makes sense. I'm not saying it was, but it was funny because now in retrospect, <clears throat> I think it's pretty clear. I could just do the show myself, but
0: yeah,
1: if he hadn't have said that, I wouldn't. So the I thought show to myself be what it is exactly because I, I, what I thought to myself was I can't, Ask someone else to come in on this venture with me because, first of all, I don't really know when you're at, or at least at the time when you're at ESPN, you don't have a lot of contact with other people who do fantasy sports because they kind of forbid you from being on other podcasts, other whatever. You couldn't, I didn't know people in the industry, right? And that's partly my own fault, just not really. I don't, I don't, you know, I think you know how seriously I take fantasy football, which is not that seriously. Sure. And I think it's fine, but I don't live it and I don't breathe it and I don't um feel the need to schmooze about it and I don't go to the conventions and I don't and I don't judge anybody who does, but just really kinda of not my scene. It's not really for me. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know that many people in the business and and what the hell was I gonna do on my own. It didn't seem like independent anything was doing anything at the time. Five years ago it was much littler. There were right. certainly now I know there were plenty of people trying to do what I wound up doing. Um but at the time it felt like no one was. And yeah. um so I was like, okay, well I can't ask someone to just quit their job and do this thing that's not going to make any money. Right. So what if what if I instead, of, you know, I'm listening to this Minnesota Public Radio guy, what if instead of me doing the whole 60 minutes by myself, what if I did 30 myself and 30 with a rotating set of guests? I thought. Maybe yeah. that would be a way to get around the worry that this guy expressed. Kind of insultingly, but that's all right.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right?
1: Um so I thought, okay, five days a week, it's going to be me for half an hour, and then someone else for half an hour. It'll be different every day. Um, who do I know who would do it? Well, my cousin would probably do it. He's pretty funny. Uh, so, okay, that's that, that's one day. My cousin will do it. We talk. Well, so, cousin Josh, a very beloved character from my podcast, uh, is my real life cousin, and when I would drive to Bristol, Connecticut from Amherst, it's like an hour and 15 minutes and we would, he would get on speakerphone and we would just talk about fantasy and he would make me laugh because his takes were so stupid and <laughs> not, no, he's really, really smart, but like he just has so a way know, yeah. of exaggerating his point. That's very funny as people know who listen to my show. No. Um, so I thought, okay, that's one day. And then I had a, one of my best friends is this guy, Craig Clark. Did you listen to the show when Craig was on?
0: I have... Yes.
1: Okay. So he was he was my original DraftKings expert because I lined up DraftKings as a sponsor, so let's have a segment about DraftKings. I'll have my friend Craig do it. Not a media personality. He's an engineer. He's really, really, really smart guy. Statistically oriented guy. Great friend. Wonderful guy. Still a really good friend of mine. Uh, so, okay. he now, I, now I've got him every Thursday. Cool. I'll do Josh every Friday. I'll do Craig every Thursday. Now I need three a week. Oh, my God. Who am I going to get to be on? And i just again ready fire aim i just started tweeting people that i didn't know hey would you be on my show (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i didn't know them and every single person said yes and it's how i so i i had andy barons has been my friend forever uh, that was easy. He was always going to be in the rotation. That was cool. Funston could be in my rotation because I knew him. Yeah. But then lots of other people. Jim McCormick, I know from ESPN, so uh, mm-hmm. we're closer now than we were than we were at when I was at ESPN. But so I had I had some people, but not enough. So I just started yeah. asking everybody who had a big Twitter following to just be on the show as a rotating cast of characters.
0: Wow.
1: I don't. All of that. So all of that from one conversation with Bill's friend at Minnesota public radio that shaped the way people experience the show that I'm, you know, wow. In the end, I probably could have just done it myself. Um, the way that now we know lots and lots of people do it themselves, right. Where they sure. might have their one assistant who's on the show with them or whatever. But I think the show kind of is pretty different in that regard because I don't know if it is anymore. Maybe people have taken that model and they're now doing, I don't know. I don't Back listen to the podcast. But at the, but I th- I feel like you know anyway all of this is a long story but uh, no it's very I interesting polit-
0: to me at least
1: <laughs> so but the the upshot about agreeing with the statement of paralysis by analysis, you know, there was almost no analysis. It was yeah. all
0: just, quite, oh, I wonder what I can do that." You know, just try it. Yeah. I was going to say quite contrary to <laughs> what you do right. on the podcast, which is all analysis. <laughs> I know.
1: It's so funny because really the way my brain works is so much. I think, pe- you know, people who listen to my show, I, I make a hundred and something shows a year and there are blessedly, a lot of people who listen to every single one of them and probably have a pretty good sense of the way my brain works, which is really regimented and really structured. And I'm not that comfortable with, you know, I'm, I, I'm not a numbers guy at all, right, for football, but I am in life. I just haven't really yeah. been convinced that numbers tell us anything in football. But I, I'm, a, I'm a science person. I'm a data person. I'm a, I'm a like, direct analysis person. And, I, you know, I'm mm-hmm. really about breaking things down and trying to explain them clearly and that, that the fact that my mind that's kind of characterized by that was so cloudy through the whole <laughs> quitting yeah. process and the whole starting <laughs> process. Funny.
0: Well, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I wonder, like, as we're starting to kind of wind down a little bit, if you could do like, um, a counter factual for us of like what you think, like, had you been reeled back in to ESPN and, uh, and started your own podcast there. Tell me what you think the benefits of doing it the way you're doing it now are versus maybe the way it would have gone had you stayed with ESPN. And I know you don't know that because it never happened, but like, kind of what you think, right. Like, what, what are the benefits of doing it the way you're doing it now as you see it?
1: I mean, the simple truth is just as much as my group at ESPN was really cool and good managers and really understood – that, you know, everybody's happiness mattered and a feeling of some degree of license and freedom is important, you're still always running up against people saying no, even if it's a couple people up the ladder, mm-hmm. a couple levels up the ladder. Just a lot of no, a lot of you can't do that. I mean, I wouldn't have a YouTube channel. I wouldn't have met the guys who run the YouTube channel for me who are amazing, Dave Piper, Dave Hewitt. I I wouldn't have uh, done all these live streams, played guitar for people, like just... My personality is so much more known f- because of this dumb stuff that i do i i can't i mean i i i, I don't wanna i don't want to say that some people who listen to me now wouldn't have found me at e s p n as and as uh and and that they wouldn't have been as into it as they are now mm-hmm. I just can't imagine it would have been to the degree. That it is the thing that keeps me going. I mean, you know, I don't know if you want to talk about the time that we're talking. I mean, we're talking during a pandemic. We're talking about, you know, I'm don't have a wife. I don't have kids. I'm thoroughly isolated. I'm by myself. I'm writing this publication, this almanac that I do every year that it takes me months to write for a season that might not happen and might not make me any money. And it's, it's a, it's kind of a hard thing to make myself do every day. It's, it's, it's tough, but the thing, and, and frankly, there are times during the season late in any given season when I've done, you know, 80 shows already and I've got <laughs> 35 more to go. And I'm like, uh, you know, I'm really flagging an energy. The thing that always gets a smile out of me and gets me out of bed and gets me doing it is the connection with the audience is, crazy (laughs) it is crazy how people how into the show people are and how supportive they are and it just strikes me that there's no way that that could have happened at espn if only because people wouldn't have felt such ownership of it like there are people who've listened to every episode i've ever done on Mm. my own and they feel like they were part of the reason the little podcast that could you know made it up the hill (laughs) they they helped push And they learned all the inside jokes and all the goofy things that I say and all the dumb takes and dumb nicknames and uh, running gags with guests. And yeah, there's there's the the thing that's really the thing. That's the thing that makes me want to keep doing it more than I just can't wait for another season of the NFL lying to me and (laughs) being super, super political, political shaky and uh you know like putting people's health at risk and you know potentially mm-hmm. exposing them to p- pandemic and you know there's a right. lot of part of what I do that makes me a little squeamish but part of what keeps me coming back every year is just what would I do without the connection with these thousand you know tens of thousands of people yeah every day who feel such incredible ownership to the to the extent that they support the sponsors in an incredible way uh, the sponsors of the show like I have A long line of sponsors who've been with me five years because the people who listen to the podcast, just, they realize how I get paid, you know, it's through ads. So they keep supporting the sponsors. And yeah, I've said this on, I think I said this on my show very recently, but every single guest who's like a recurring guest on my show and what, there must be 15 or 20 of them. Every single one of them, when we're talking on Skype, like you and I are doing right now, before we start recording, Mm -hmm. they will say, dude, you're, Fans are crazy in a great way, but they're crazy. Every time I'm on, <laughs> they tweet me so much. I get a hundred new followers. They they know all the they they call me on all the dumb things I said. Wow, uh, <laughs> <it's, laughs> like it is just like I did a telethon uh, for for feeding America for the for the coronavirus.
0: Yeah, um, uh, back
1: in April was it April? <sighs> Maybe March. I think it was April. Um, I think it was April. Where I had. It was, it was like I don't know what was it four hours or something of video of YouTube live video of like all my friends a lot of my friends from the podcast and yeah. talked about various things I mean we raised between fifteen and twenty thousand dollars in one night just from one dinky little podcast because just this group of people are so supportive and engaged like I do uh, in, I'm in Los Angeles and I do a live meetup and I just did this last live meetup in I guess it was October. It must have been November, and it, it was at a bar like right across the street from the yacht, right across the street from where I live. Uh-huh. And I walk over, and the bar wasn't open yet. There's 20 people standing there, and it winds up being like 50 people, wow. and they're just so into it, and they're they they meet each other, and they're so happy, and they know about the possum, and they know about the, <laughs> just this stupid nonsense. But yeah. it's just such a incredible feeling of connection. Wow. I mean, I'm sorry for the super long answer. No, but no, that, of course that that feeling is what I would imagine I wouldn't have had if I had stayed.
0: Wow. Yeah. That, uh, what's that old stupid credit card commercial priceless, you know, (laughs) (laughs) um, no, I was, I, uh, was explaining to my wife, Liz, the, uh, the walk-up music and the mixtapes the other night. I played her a couple of them and, uh she was she was moderately entertained i don't think she totally got it but (laughs) Uh, i mean
1: think about that we have like we have hundreds of people out there making songs about ridiculous (laughs) crap that i have said and i played them and it's like just what i could not no way anybody could have planned for that
0: no yeah yeah that's i mean i well I don't want to keep you too long because, um, I know you got stuff to do as well. Um, I could talk to you for another hour about that kind of stuff. But, um, so is, is your, uh, first off is your, um, your drive, is that still able to receive donations? Um, and, and yeah. then, and then if so, yeah, you can, um, tell the listeners about that. And then, uh, your podcast or anything else you want to plug.
1: So the, um, if you just go to our YouTube channel, uh, YouTube.com/slash/HarrisFootball, you can find the telethon there. It's it's saved as it's not live anymore, obviously. Um, but there's all sorts of information about the link, how to how to give uh, to Feeding America via our our telethon. Um, that's cool. I don't know what else I have. I don't really need to plug things. I mean, you know, I <laughs> I I'm not doing the as of as of our recording this right now from from the beginning of May to the beginning of July. That's when I take time off from the podcast. So now that I've made everybody sound like, you know, they all think, Oh, this sounds like the funnest show. I don't even care about football. I'm going to listen. Sorry. You can't, uh,
0: (laughs) you can listen to the archives.
1: Right. You can listen to the archives. Uh, It'll start back up again in July. You know, I hope there's a season. Uh, if there isn't, you know, there I'll survive. There's, there's, there's a lot more things worse in the world. If there isn't a season than me not having a podcast, but like probably we'll have to redirect some energies. But, um, Right. Yeah, that that's good. I mean, I have I have novels like you said. If you, they're all on Amazon, they're they're you can get paperbacks or you can get Kindle versions or you can get audiobooks of uh, my melliflu- mellifluous voice. I will. Them.
0: Um, did you do the um, the the audio for all of them?
1: Did I? The, okay. It is it is my dulcet tones.
0: Um, well, if you don't mind, uh, maybe in chronological order, just give the names of the books and I'll link to them all.
1: Sure. Uh, The very first one was called Slotback Rhapsody, and that one is about the NFL. It's about a football player, Mouse Morrison, who has become a character on the show, kind of, on the podcast. Uh, And then there's The Big Clear, which is like a neo-noir. Then there's War on Sound, which is a big book about a rock and roll band. And the most recent one is the one that people probably, if they know my writing at all, they probably know me by because that was the one that sold the most copies. It's called Tulsa. It's about the apocalypse kind of, so maybe it's a little on the nose, but I wrote it before the apocalypse. So. <laughs> I but,
0: don't I don't think people will take offense to it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, it's funny about Tulsa. That's the one that, like I said, that I've sold probably more copies of it than any of the rest of them put together. But um, I've also had some people tell me, I would love to read Tulsa, but maybe not right now.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> like you said, a little too on the nose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and, um, can't wait for your, hopefully your podcast to come back on time with the NFL season as scheduled. Um, it's, I'm, I'm outing myself and my secret weapon in in my fantasy leagues here today as well. So hopefully it doesn't come back to bite me, but, uh,
1: thank you for having me. It was really fun to talk about and, um, I don't know. I mean, I can't give blanket advice about when when someone should quit their job. I, again, you know, one thing that I didn't talk about all the way through was I mentioned, but like, I don't have dependents. It's really easy for me to just go, "Yeah, everybody should quit their job the minute they're not happy," and <laughs> that's not really possible for a lot of people. But, um, sure, you know, uh, uh, I think it's great that you're doing the show because at least it can put the bug in people's ears about maybe someday.
0: Sure. Yep got to start somewhere. Well, thank you. Thank you again so much, Chris. And, uh, hopefully the, the rest of your quarantine is short and a smooth ride and the best to you and your family. Thank you. Thanks for listening to when can I quit my job? Please remember to support the show by visiting when can I quit my job com and clicking the Patreon and Amazon links. Also, subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Tell your friends about us. Liz and Noah are not financial or legal advisors, and all information given on this podcast should be consumed for entertainment purposes only.